0: You're listening to Beyond the Jargon, a jargon-free look at graduate students and their research journey here at UVic. Welcome to Beyond the Jargon. I'm pleased to have in the studio today as my guest, Justin Carr. He is a winner of the 2013 Vanier Scholarships and is studying how the brain can heal and change, giving new hope to people suffering from brain-based disorders. So thank you for being here today.
1: I'm glad to be here.
0: Do you want to tell us a little bit about your um, your research and what it means to be looking at how the brain can heal itself and change?
1: Um. Okay, so I have to be beyond the jargon. So I'm gonna have to talk in a in in psychology. We get very buried in our own jargon. So mm-hmm. um, I want to talk about these things in ways that are more communicable. Um, in terms of like interventions for the brain, in psychology, we look at something that has been more recently referred to as behavioral medicine, mm-hmm. um, as opposed to like psychotherapy and psychological interventions, which in some ways have been uh, stigmatized in the past. as like, oh, you need to see a therapist or you should see someone. Um, but in neuropsychology, we look at things in terms of interventions as well, in addition to things like psychotherapy, where we look at stimulating the mind, um, either physically or cognitively. And by cognitively, I mean thinking behaviors or active mental stimulation, things like Sudoku and Mm -hmm. brain gain, all those games, and what's the support behind them? What do we know about them in terms of research and in terms of empiricism, I guess would be a word to put Mm -hmm. on it. Um, What are the observable benefits? And uh, in the context of why I initially became interested in neuropsychology, I I was looking at that neuropsychological component, where neuro is specifically related to the brain, mm-hmm. and psychology is widely related to behavior. And behavior in the context of psychology is a general word. We think of behavior and what does that mean? But in psychology, we are looking at tracking specific behaviors, and these behaviors can be anything from behaviors such as uh, a child's ability to, memori- to memorize things mm-hmm. um, that could be perceived as a behavior, or perhaps um, your ability to plan this interview Um, like to schedule it to contact me to be here at this specific time and also for me to be here at this specific time those behaviors in relation to planning so uh, those behaviors in psychology um, things like planning and you know um, organizing my behavior and performing it um, towards a goal Mm -hmm. uh, which the goal would be be here for this interview we refer to often as executive functions Um, and this construct we call it construct or an idea that's um, measurable through uh, through a variety of psychological tests or measurements or screeners, even um, like questionnaires, and we want to see how those behaviors um, can change in relation to interventions that we can provide in terms of psychological interventions, and these things can be physical exercise or cognitive stimulation that we talked about earlier. And that's just one of the components of the research areas I'm interested in. Mm-hmm.
0: Uh, Why are you so interested in it? What got you interested in in psychology? Because um, you really seem passionate about it, and you're yeah. lighting up when you're talking about it.
1: You want to know something? This is kind of funny. In terms of the most important decisions of your life, are often made without you in the room, is a, is a theme that I believe. So, like a lot of the opportunities you get in life, um, like a vanity, for example, like I tried to prepare this whole application to um, convince someone to provide me um, with support to continue like my research into a PhD program at the at a higher education level um, in terms of a PhD and um, like that's a fantastic thing but in terms of choosing your discipline that's a decision that you hold so it's also an important um, an autonomous choice that you make so reflecting on it, I feel like it should really be an important component of who I am and how I got this way. But to be hundred percent honest with you, <laughs> my decision to enter psychology was handedly one of the most meaningless decisions of my life. <laughs> I went into psychology because when I got into undergrad, and I went to my undergrad at a small institution in Oregon. I'm orig- I'm an American. Mm-hmm. I apologize to all of you Canadians out there. Um, I love Canada though. I call <laughs> myself an American Canadian now, or American Canadian. That's the word I like. American oh, Canadian. Oh,
0: that's yeah. That's that's That's
1: good. Um, So I brought in psychology credits Mm -hmm. um, from my high school. And I must say that my high school psychology teacher um, was a fantastic teacher. He actually won a national award Mm. for uh, teaching um, at my high school um, in Tigard, Oregon. And um, I went down to Western Oregon University with a few psychology credits. And I didn't even know what a major was. Mm-hmm. Like, I did not know what a major was when I, when I began um, my undergraduate education. And they asked me, well, what do you want to do as your major? And I said, well, I have a few credits in psychology. I'll just do that.
0: So, <laughs> and your fate was sealed. And
1: my fate was sealed. <laughs> so a couple of years later, I was like, oh, man, I shouldn't do psychology. Like, I'm kind of <laughs> having second guesses. Because there are a lot of things in psychology that are vague and unclear. Mm-hmm. And you in that limitations to certainty kind of like pull a scientific mind away from it. So a lot of people like type that are really interested like in neuropsychology, like we're interested in biology as well as psychology. So mm-hmm. there are flavors of psychology that are kind of concerning um, in terms of we don't fully understand them yet. But that's mm-hmm. the thing that's most attractive about them. Mm-hmm. So we want to go into a discipline where you just don't know um, and there's a few areas of the world, uh, of the universe, in which I really feel we're at a point in which we don't know. Mm-hmm. And um, some, and two of those are space. Like, uh-huh. obviously, we haven't explored space, What well, we just left the heliosphere, right? So mm-hmm. that was a big <laughs> deal. I guess that was like a year ago, but now we've confirmed it. Um, <laughs> and then the brain uh, is something that we don't fully understand. It was commented that the brain is one of the most complex physical features that exist in the universe. Mm-hmm. And the idea that the brain drives behavior so it actually manifests as change in the physical universe uh, is even a more complicated idea. So when we're trying to track something physical mm-hmm. and then track that into behavior, which is equally physical, but is self-causing in many ways, mm-hmm. uh, especially when it's observed, it just becomes very complicated. And uh, you can talk about it for hours. Uh, so... <laughs> If you want the most ambiguous, vague, unclear, and critical conversations you'll ever have, talk put, like, a philosopher and a psychologist in the room, and they'll they'll bore you to death. But, um, <laughs> and everyone will leave pissed off. That's, that's the end of the day.
0: Uh, uh, let's talk about how you wound up at UVic. So you're from Oregon, yeah. and we, uh, we've discovered how you chose your major. Mm-hmm. Uh, so did you finish your degree at the school that you started, your undergrad degree at the school you started yeah, at? Yeah,
1: I went to Western Oregon, and you did... did The reason I went there to be honest with you is my brother went there and I'm a cross-country runner Uh and I wanted to run cross-country in college so it was a a division two school so like my whole decision to go there was so I could run cross-country and it was fun and I had a great time and I still run as a tradition now Mm -hmm. Um, but when I chose UVic um, so clinical psychology programs are known to be very hard to get into mm-hmm. um, so like i was applying during the application phase and the suggested like applica- number of applications to different schools is 12 i think or maybe it's even 16 now mm-hmm. cuz they're really competitive so I was just happy to get in anywhere if I if I applied. Um, I like to think of myself as a very good candidate, but you have to be realistic in, ex- in your expectations. And as mm-hmm. I said earlier, the most important decisions of your life are made without you in the room. So you put all your cards out there, and you hope that um, like, you went on the flop, right? Or yeah. Whatever it is. So um, I applied for a variety of schools. Um, I got into two, and one of them being the University of Victoria. Um, the reason I applied for UVic is uh i applied for six schools and then I, w- I said to myself you know what you should apply for a seventh school and this was like i was actually at nationals and cross country in kentucky i was sitting in it's actually the hotel that's the hotel for the kentucky derby it's called the gelt house um i'm probably pronouncing that wrong but um it, i was just sitting there and i was like i should apply for another school so i was like what 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 area of the world would i like to live in and i and i thought i was like well i applied for a few in washington maybe I'd live in British Columbia. So I applied for to live in British Columbia um, in Victoria, and mm-hmm. I hadn't taken the psychology GRE. Um, because there's a specific... What is the
0: psychology GRE?
1: It's um, Well, there's the GRE, the graduate record exam, mm-hmm. um, which uh, has a quantitative section and a verbal section, and I can talk to you about it for hours if you'd mm-hmm. like me to, but I, I'd That's, rather yeah, not. That's
0: good, I think, yeah. Yeah,
1: and then there's the specific subject exam, which is psychology. It's more related to psychological facts, and I didn't take it because I didn't want to take it, and you have to pay for it. So I looked <laughs> at different schools in mm-hmm. BC that didn't require the specific psychology GRE, mm-hmm. and UVic was one of them. And UVic actually has a very strong reputation in psychology Um, if you type in the University of Victoria in psychology and some uh, literature on assessment which is kind of like the evaluation of behavior and things like we've been talking about Mm -hmm. um, UVic ranks quite high in the terms of its productivity and rankings um, in terms of assessment and also as a clinical program in North America it has a history of ranking quite high as well in terms of exit Mm -hmm. examinations through the examination of professional practice in psychology so that was a That was an incentive. Like, you type in the name online, and you see, like, very positive reviews of it, and it has a very strong reputation in the discipline. So it looked like someplace that I should apply to, and Mm -hmm. I looked at the potential advisors that I could work with, and Mauricio, who I work with now, um, he looked like he had an engaging research area. He had a fantastic website, Mm -hmm. and I thought, you know what? I should apply, Um, and I did, and I applied, and I interviewed with him, and uh, he called me and made the offer, and... I accepted because I, I clicked well with him. He's a fantastic advisor. He's been so supportive since I got here.
0: So uh, does your does your research change now from, um, from what you're doing for your master's now moving towards your PhD? Are you just narrowing your focus? How does that work?
1: This is a complicated question. Um, in terms of my focus on research, um, I... This is a conversation I often have um, in terms of like what is your research interest? And I have trouble tracking that because I've been interested in a variety of things. My master's research was actually on concussions. Um, so the term is mild traumatic brain injury, and they mm-hmm. call these things injury constructs and whether or not concussion and mild TBI are the same thing. And those are controversies as well. But um that was a interesting area. Um, I'm interested in brain injury. I'm potentially interested in military psychology where people are coming back from war with brain injuries and trauma and mm-hmm. the, the combination of those things and how those relate to um, like what psychology has available to like returning soldiers and veterans. Um, so that's an area I'm interested in. Um, I'm obviously also interested in measurement, um, mm-hmm. as we talked about in terms of the screener, um, the development of, of these executive abilities across time. So it's really hard to narrow down because the thing is, it's my discipline is technically clinical neuropsychology. So there's a lot of stuff that's, um, that's enveloped under that title, the first being clinical, which is specific clinical populations. So that could be anything in terms of how someone... Um, Experiences of pathology or a trauma or an injury. Um, I'm specifically interested in um, in brain injury Mm -hmm. and some areas of dementia and Alzheimer's. Um, Those are very common areas to be targeted by neuropsychology. Um, But I'm also just interested in the neuropsychological component of it. So that's the measurement of it. How can we produce good measures to track uh, changes in like cognitive function is what we call it, so thinking abilities in um, relation to these clinical populations. Mm -hmm. Um, So I'm trying to narrow it down. I'm leaning towards brain injury, um, Mm -hmm. and then I obviously love the methods components, so I don't think I'm going to give that up, but it'll be interesting in terms of my Ph.D. research. Um, I'd like to incorporate um, more cross dis- or interdisciplinary methodologies, hmm. um, kind of pull in um, imaging uh, because there is some neuroimaging data that's available. Um, like that's become a, a greater cra- uh, greater fad in terms of secondary analysis mm-hmm. of data. So like you have these huge data sets that are already available and they want people to do analysis on them. And I would love to be that guy because data so, collection is hard. and. If you and it costs money, so if you have the resources available and the skills at hand and the computer program, you can do it.
0: Mm-hmm. So, you'd be looking at images of the brain and trying to determine what that meant, like behaviorally.
1: Um, you can link things in. Um, it depends, like, this is this is uh, it would be a fortuitous course if I actually was able to do this. Um, but there is longitudinal data sets out there in relation to I know there's one through NIH in the states. Um, I don't know if I'll like you, there are. Logistics in terms of getting access to it, but an ideal perspective that I would like to take into like if I when I am ultimately like an independent researcher and I have my doctoral degree, I would love to um, yeah be able to link um, like structure or function um, neurologically to uh, cognitive performance, so that would be like the measurements of tests, like we call things like IQ tests is probably one of the Mm -hmm. most familiar things, but there are things that measure more than IQ, quote unquote. Um, Like what? uh, Executive functions, for example. Right. There are are specific tasks that are known to measure things like that, memory. Mm -hmm. Um, All of these things kind of are Intelligence is an interesting idea um, and I'm not going to go too deep into it because I don't know all that much about it, mm-hmm. but it is something we measure, but there's more to the mind and its function than intelligence and there's different abilities and whether or not those abilities overlap with intelligence, that's been a, a constant discussion in psychology for years and years and years. Um, so my, what I would find interesting is if you could look at longitudinal structure in the brain, let's say, um, and longitudinal um, cognitive functions, so like an ability to perform on a test. And then lastly, behaviors, mm-hmm. um, and see how they mediate each other. So the idea would be a change in the brain influences the way the brain processes information, mm-hmm. and which ultimately changes the way you behave. Right. So it would be this three, like this mediational pattern in which uh, you would have brain, cognition, behavior, Mm -hmm. and you would be able to track that um, longitudinally to kind of understand development, even the course of uh, disease. Mm -hmm. Like I find that to be the most promising route in understanding multidimensionally how the human brain develops and changes um, both healthfully and in a clinical context. Um, to really understand what to expect, prognoses, and potential interventions. At what point do you know that the brain is changing? Is that going to change the way someone behaves? Is it going to change their cognition? How can we intervene at that specific point in time to make a difference? Mm-hmm. Um, when is it too late? When is it is it is it ever too early? Mm-hmm. Those are important questions to ask in terms of behavioral health. Because um, behavioral health is a resource that is not... Um, constantly accessed. There's stigma surrounding accesses to uh, behavioral health in some psychological contexts. Mm-hmm. Um, and, uh, Is that like
0: what you were talking about before with things like therapy and stuff yeah, like that? Yeah, yeah,
1: therapy. Um, so, in the context of like, Alzheimer's and dementia and there's less stigma surrounding like living an active lifestyle obviously at that Mm -hmm. age Um, but I don't know sometimes like I'll be at the gym and I'll see um, an older adult working out and like people getting frustrated because they're slow on the machine but you know they like it's a fantastic thing that at that point in their life they are still physically active mm-hmm. and that should be encouraged um, so there is some of these like concepts of like oh like well they like they're socially secluded they've reached an age and if you see an older like if, if you, you go to the, if you go down to swans and you see an older, older adult out there killing it on the dance floor like that should be something that's appreciated <laughs> because it's that interaction between physical activity social engagement that's probably really keeping them healthy at a later age so like it's a good thing um, you should see people that are physically active but in other contexts um like for example in brain injury there is some stigma surrounding like people's perceptions of how someone with brain injury behaves like maybe they're not as able to regulate their behavior and people look down on that inability to regulate behavior they don't understand it or they misattribute it to the person being a bad person but in fact it's just the fact that they're unable to uh, monitor their behavior in the same way so um that's a that's something that Really, uh, people are trying to move forward with in, in terms of society, communication and mental health, um, talking about things, about what, about brain injury, being aware of that. Talk in, in terms of beyond the neurological component, talking about things like depression and suicide risk, those are important things to talk about um, to understand that they're real problems. Yeah, they are are tracked empirically. Mm -hmm. We do observe these things. We measure them, um, and we know like mood is a real medical concern. It's Mm. not uh, solely psychological. Um, Well, it is. It's medical and psychological in terms of the context of. We don't want to look at those as separate disciplines. Like everything should be taken in a holistic context, and that context um, only when everything's taken in perspective, um, and we have say psychological resources in primary care can we truly understand. Uh, the full health of a person. So mm-hmm. you go in and you get a prescription or you have like a problem. For example, let's say you have diabetes um, and you go in and you see a doctor. Now, now having diabetes can influence your mood
0: mm-hmm.
1: uh, and it can influence your self-concept and all of these things. It can be a strain on the way that you live your life in terms of reliance on insulin. It can affect your travel. Mm-hmm. My mother has diabetes, so I've experienced um, like concerns about... Like she went and traveled across the world. My brother lives in Vanuatu, which is a mm. is a country near Fiji. Um, I've been there as well; it's fantastic. But she's in the middle of nowhere, and uh, she has diabetes, so I'm concerned if she uh, loses her medicate or insulin or something like that. Like, what are the repercussions of that? They're mm-hmm. very significant. So, um, understanding how health influences uh, psychological phenomenon. Um, at a very intrinsic level, is really important for all disciplines that act as practitioners um, and interact with patients. Uh, so. I guess I'm going on a little bit of a soapbox here, but... I, <laughs> That's okay. I, I, I feel um, strongly about this, and I know that... Um, about this
0: holistic approach to things?
1: Um, Just the idea of behavioral medicine being something that should be incorporated mm-hmm. with um, traditional medicine in terms of like medical physicians, just observing a patient, seeing your primary doctor. So why, when we come in to a medical clinic, do they say, so what's wrong with you today? Mm. Um, And they're expecting to hear something like well, you know, I've been feeling sick lately. Can I get amodax and leave? Mm-hmm. Um, why don't we ask that person about how their mood's been, um, like substance use, all of these concerns, have thoughts of even suicidality, uh, maybe potential past traumas. All of these things are concerns mm-hmm. um, that should be discussed openly. I mean, in a, in a setting where confidentiality is respected and the, the patient is autonomous to make their own decisions about mm-hmm. moving forward with things. But if we're scared to say these things out loud, um, you're never going to see any progress mm-hmm. with um, dealing with mental health as a real issue. And it is a very, very real issue. Um, you see it in, in terms of healthcare reform. I know the U S government's shut down right now, but yeah. <laughs> uh, in terms of healthcare reform, like people are trying to bring uh, behavioral health to the front page of um, some of these issues uh, in terms of smoking cessation, like mm-hmm. interventions to prevent smoking. That's a behavioral medicine approach that has repercussions on physical health like it's a Mm -hmm. great analogy to what we can do if you prevent things like frequent smoking or addiction to smoking um, cigarettes that is Mm -hmm. uh, you can prevent a lot of extremely prevalent public health risks um, and that is a behavioral intervention that has been shown to improve overall health so Mm -hmm. if you include um, behavioral concerns around substance and mental health in primary care settings what you can get is uh, ultimately a healthier population um, and a happier population. Uh, what's it? Bhutan has uh, gross domestic happiness as uh-huh. their product. I think they have a method for measuring happiness in the society. Uh-huh. Like we only look In the Western world, we look often at GDP, so gross uh-huh. domestic product. Why are we looking at happiness? <laughs> I mean, we know that money at some level doesn't correlate all that, as much with uh, happiness so if we're if we're really looking at happiness to be the main goal I think we'd probably be I guess happier <laughs> uh, as opposed to just looking at a financial gain or um, and even so like if you do have a happier healthier population that's so more physically active and open about their mental and physical health you're gonna save money mm-hmm. um, people will be more willing to access health care maybe access preventative health care there's there's some strong evidence to uh, fiscal gains of responsible mental health care. So it's mm-hmm. a big deal.
0: You're very passionate about that. Are you a, one of uh, a movement, I guess, of people that want to see this behavioral um, therapy included in other parts of medicine or beha- um, or that conversation at least? Or is this just your personal um, I'm not thing? really
1: part of a movement by any means. Maybe now that this is being recorded and publicized, I should take a stance on something. Um, <laughs> I... I feel there will be a point in my life where I feel that this will be an important thing that I will push. Um, right now, I'm I'm in the ivory tower. I'm in academia, and I'm training to be a mm-hmm. clinician to understand mental health in a more in, a, in an important way. Um, and I have the opportunity to do that here. Um, if I do find myself in an opportunity to uh, push for this, to understand it. Um, and to like apply it in policy, that would be a fantastic thing. Um, currently my training doesn't uh, I mean although we do uh, discuss in my training about um, like the uh, impacting like social set like uh, social change, um, things like that in psychology, those are important things that we talk about. Um, in terms of like public policy. I'm, I have only a very small history in terms of public policy, but you know, Maybe sometime in the future, hmm. um, once I am out there and I actually like have the license to practice and understand these things, I mm-hmm. could, I could contribute. Yeah.
0: And do you want to be working directly with the people with, say, brain injuries or Alzheimer's and things like that? Or are you more interested in the research end of things and um, looking the, at those scans and stuff?
1: This is the interesting thing about um, clinical psychology as a discipline. Um, you get training, the PhD is obviously a traditionally academic degree. Mm-hmm. Now in the States, they have something called a PsyD, so a Doctor of Psychology. Mm-hmm. And the, obviously PhD is Doctor of Philosophy. Um, the PsyD is a quote unquote practitioner degree in which the the uh, individuals who receive the PsyD are trained in specifically clinical practice and psychology, whereas the PhD programs are more of an integrative approach of research mm-hmm. and um, and clinical uh clinical training. So in terms of my training here at UVic, I get access to both clinical training where I do see clients Mm -hmm. and I also get access to uh, research training. So it's really um, a more integrative approach at looking at the research that leads to our understanding of how to interact clinically, what interventions to use, what measurements to use. And then I also get to apply that in clinical settings, which is a fantastic thing about the discipline, Mm -hmm. is the fact that we produce the research we use. Um, Now, in terms of the context of where I'd like to end up... um, I can't say for sure right now, but it would be fantastic to be in an institute where I could continue doing research and where I would be able to um, still apply clinical uh, clinical practice to in a way. Um, initially, I was very research oriented, but um, and I still am. I'm very research oriented, but I see practicalities of understanding the application of that research in ultimately formulating research. It's very cyclical. Um, so I'd love to, I'd love to have both in my life. Um, Mm -hmm. when I, when I get down the road, but you know, I have three years here of, um, you know, just hanging out in Victoria and and doing my, (laughs) doing what I do here. So, uh, yeah, I, I will see, but I don't like to tell the future. Mm -hmm. Um, but because if you had asked me like five years ago if I would be talking to you in the basement of the sub in British Columbia, mm-hmm. Canada, I, I would be like, no, there's no way I'll be, yeah, I'll still <laughs> be in Oregon or something. Yeah. I
0: do have a follow-up question about um... – about your chosen field of study? Because as you said, it was just sort of a, well, I don't know. I, I guess I'll do this. I'm already you know, on yeah. that track. At some point, it must have become something that you're truly interested in. Otherwise, you wouldn't have come this far, would you? And mm-hmm. was there like a moment where it all of a sudden crystallized for you? Or was it just sort of a gradual um, getting more interested in it?
1: I think the moment it really became something significant is you learn a lot in a classroom. Mm-hmm. Um, but the most important things I've learned in my life, I learned from my peers and my interactions. Often, the things I under- come to understand in a classroom are things I may apply later, but in terms of true learning, you have to have integrated and applied settings um, to really understand what's going on. Like You can talk about stats all you want, but until you sit down and run the stats and do them and interpret them, at that point, do you truly understand what you've done? Uh, In the context of psychology, I had the privilege of um, doing, like, a short little internship-like thing at um, the Oregon State Hospital. And Hmm. that's actually, if you've ever seen One Flew Over the Cuckoo's Nest, that's where it was filmed.
0: Oh, okay. Yeah,
1: so... uh, I would hang out in there, yeah. Mm-hmm. Um, it's, it's, what did
0: you do there? What was the internship?
1: Um, I worked with a clinical neuropsychologist, so the discipline that I'm training to be, who actually originally graduated from Western Oregon University, so he was with the, um, the group that I was, or he, he was from the institution that I was from, and he, he knew some of the faculty members, so it was good. It was a good, like, transition um, to shadow him. Mm-hmm. At, in, in his in his setting. And that really, to be honest with you, the context in which I like, finally understood psychology was uh, when I sat across from a, a man who um, he had significant um, alcohol abuse and mm-hmm. he could hardly recall a short series of words that we read to him. So his mm-hmm. memory was was very was very gone, Um, and I just, I sat there, and I, and I finally understood, like, the repercussions that behavior can have on the mind, Mm -hmm. and how all of these things are physically and psychologically integrated, and the fact that there's a real need to understand a patient, to understand what brought them there, and to potentially develop a resource to intervene and help them, Mm -hmm. Um, and that kind of like, it's, it's an empathetic and scientific, like, perspective on a real phenomenon that exists socially um, and is often overlooked. Now, in the Oregon State Hospital, it's, there used to be, um, like, little, like, tunnels under it. Like, if you want to talk about, like, stigma surrounding mental health, like, this place was has a history of just... It has. It had a really bad history at the time. It's. They've made great changes, Mm -hmm. um, and there, and I don't want to make any comments about the. Like my time there was very good. I. I I don't know enough to make any judgments about how it's currently doing. I know they put a lot of money into uh, reforming it, and um, most of the all the people I interacted with had the right intentions, but um, it's. uh, It's a complex issue that requires a lot of good people in the field, and um, requires a lot of good research as well, and um, it kind of pulled me into it. Uh, it made me understand that uh, there's, there's a need to understand the brain, and then there's a need to treat the brain, and there's one discipline I think that's really integrating that in an effective way, and that's clinical neuropsychology.
0: Mm-hmm. All right. It looks like we're out of time. I want to thank you so much for joining me today.
1: Yeah, thanks for having me.
0: And uh, congratulations on the scholarship.
1: Thank you. Again, thank you for listening to Beyond the Jargon on CFUV.